0: Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host, and if you are new here, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here, and in this podcast, we rotate between five main topics, faith, finances, health, marriage, and mindset, and the goal being that we work on becoming just 1% better every single day in each of those areas, and I believe that the small, seemingly insignificant things will compound over time and ultimately drive positive generational change. Okay, so you guys, I am throwing somewhat of a curveball at you today. (laughs) I am going to have a few interviews sprinkled throughout the rest of 2020 that are a part of a series that I am calling Overcomer. And these stories are stories of women who have overcome something big in life that could have broken them but didn't. And instead, they have figured out how to kind of put their feet back on solid ground and do things differently for their children or have found a way to be a light to others who were enduring the same thing that they did. And these stories range from emotional abuse as a child to teen mothers to mothers of children with disabilities and everything in between. And so these episodes are kind of bonus episodes, so you may actually start to see an extra episode one week. So I might release one on Monday and then another one on Wednesday or something, okay? So you might start to see like two Legacy Through Motherhood episodes in a single week, potentially, um, for the remainder of 2020. And I had this idea because I feel like we're all battling something, right? Like I had my Boundaries episode a little while ago that most of you guys listened to and there was such great feedback From that. And it's really, those episodes are really powerful because they're really raw and they're really real and it's something that people deal with. But I only have the perspective that I have, right? So I wanted to bring in women who have gone on a journey through something really freaking hard and came out on the other end. And I've really done this one, to just give hope to anyone who finds themselves in similar shoes to my guests. And two, just to give these women a platform to share their stories and their testimony. And what an honor, oh my goodness, it has been. And our first guest in the Overcomer series, she was a teen mom who was pressured to not keep her baby, but instead chose to raise her son. And the father of her son ended up being abusive and just, it was not a good situation. And when her son was three, she finally left after a series of pretty intense circumstances she talks about in this episode. And this is a story of grit and grace and addiction and redemption and the power of a mother's love. So please welcome Kim Minch. All right. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much for being on the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. I am so happy to be with you, Stephanie. I'm happy to have you on. Okay, so can you kind of dive right in? Can you just um, share your story with me and my listeners?
1: I would love to. Thank you for this opportunity. I was um, born and raised in an upper middle class area of um, outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where um, I had a very traditional upbringing. I guess I would say my dad... Worked as a stockbroker, and my mom was home with um, myself and my two younger brothers. And gosh, um, probably was the epitome of the homemaker in that she was an she loved to interior design. She cooked from scratch. You know, we just we had. I would say when I look back on my upbringing, outside of some minor moves that our family made, I had a very um, settled, very nurturing. Um, upbringing. And that kind of shifted a little bit when I was, or did shift, first shift and major challenge that came into my personal story was I went off to college. And as a freshman in college, I got pregnant. And that did not sit well, obviously with, um, well, neither of my parents, but especially with my dad. I was the oldest, the only daughter, And my dad definitely, from the beginning and looking back now, was way more focused, I would say, on what our family looked like from the outside, as Mm -hmm. opposed to my mom. Again, my mom was pretty nurturing. We had a good relationship, I would say, even during my teen years. But my dad and I grew apart a little bit because he kind of became my disciplinarian. He was the guy that was kind of on me about my grades and you know, didn't always like the clothes I was wearing and that kind of a thing. So we grew a little bit further apart during my teen years. And then when I came home at Christmas of my freshman year and was pregnant, that didn't go over well at all. So he and my grandparents on both sides a lot of time this is back in the day this was 1987 my son was born so i feel like he's 33 at this point (laughs) so it feels like an eon ago but still the feelings are still most definitely very fresh Um, at that time if you wanted to adopt a baby you would place an ad in the newspaper and so my grandparents and my father would send me because i went back to college for my second semester During my pregnancy, and they would send me all of these newspaper clippings of couples that, you know, wanted to adopt a baby. And so this was definitely the direction I was being led into. All the while, while I was at school, of course, I'm with my most of my friends in college were high school buddies. And so it made it really challenging because I was going through this really life changing and emotionally changing event All around me, the girls were worried about what was going to happen at the next party. And, you know, it was just I I was in kind of my own separate, different world. Plus, knowing that nobody in my family really wanted me to keep the baby, that they thought it was best at age 18 for me to give this baby up. So I remember in June of that year, my mom came and picked me up. I was clearly I was like six months pregnant. I, I remember feeling so um so strange when I handed in my last walk to the front of the classroom and handed in my last exam, I'm clearly pregnant. I feel very, you know, like all eyes are on me kind of thing. My mom picked me up and on the way home, when we were driving home, I, I lived, or I went to school about four hours away from home, but my mom, you know, I just crying to her and saying like, I can't give this baby up. Like I've thought so many times about how, um, what this would do to me, like I envisioned this courtroom in this whole scenario, and, you know, signing away the papers of this child. And I was close at the time with um, uh, my, my son's dad. So we had a close relationship. We were committed to, you know, having this baby and, and raising it. So that whole summer before my son was born, it was a lot of ups and downs. And my dad pretty much stuck to it. He did stick to his, you know, you cannot come home if you have that baby. Mm -hmm. So I had to, a friend of mine, I didn't even know what welfare was. Like I had, I, someone just mentioned to me, like, you know, you could go on welfare. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what what that is. What that so is, I yeah. had to figure that out and she helped me. She was someone I babysat for. I babysat for her little kids. So she helped me figure that out and I went to downtown Milwaukee in a not great neighborhood. It very very pregnant and applied for benefits and I remember being scared. Then I found this teeny tiny apartment across town from my parents and um, the first sofa I bought was from a yard sale and it was $25 and it was disgusting, (laughs) full of dog hair, but you know, this is what I had. (laughs) Um, My mom did, I will say my mom, I think this really caused a lot of conflict between my parents. I know it did actually because my mom believed in me and she really, really didn't want to see me do something you know, to going against my dad, but also didn't want me to go against myself and abandon my own deep desire to parent this child. So I moved into that little apartment right before my son was born and um, continued to date his dad. We both knew that it wasn't a good idea for us to get married. On top of it, that was one of the things my dad was like, "Okay, if you're going to keep the baby, then you need to get married." Even though he did not like this this uh, boyfriend that I had, he (laughs) did not like him, but it was like, in the eyes of everybody else, if you at least get married, this would be okay. Um, Which, you know, so fortunately, even though we were 18 and 19 years old, we both knew that wasn't a good idea. And as time wore on, and the stress of parenting at the at that young age, and, you know, financial issues and stuff like that, really brought out this side of my son's father. That was very dark, and he began to emotionally be very abusive and um, bossy, and also try and like take me away from my friends and, and, and other people. Like really wanted to manipulate my time and my what I was doing, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I it was on my radar for quite a while that this wasn't a good relationship it wasn't healthy for me it but you know here i am i have this child with him and and i was really stuck in like okay what do i do here like i know long term this is hurting me and this is ultimately going to hurt my son however i i didn't know you know i didn't i had what, what other choices do you have or, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean i was kind of building things back with my family in terms of my my grandparents you know fell in love with with my son, Nick, because once they saw him, they, you know, and they, they were on board, they were cautiously on board, I guess I would say, but my dad took a really long time to warm up. And the very interesting thing is so did my son. My son didn't particularly care for my dad. Um, so it was kind of, I mean, it was almost like he knew on some level, I don't know, right. even before he was born. I, I, and I think that's possible. So anyway, um, I, 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 like I said, I went on to I, welfare benefits about eight months after. I, it really was it was such a difficult thing because if I worked, and the only skills I had was a was um, being a typist, or I, I learned typing in high school. So I really had finished my freshman year in college, didn't have a lot of skills, and a secretarial position open for me, my mom said she would take care of my son. So she took care of him and it worked out okay. My dad was willing for her to do that because he was gone to work during the day. So my mm-hmm. son would be there, didn't really bother my dad. You know, I was able to, but I couldn't make very much money because then my benefits would be cut off. So I was kind of caught in this really difficult place of, you know, making the leap between being on benefits and supporting myself. So I was, I, I, did, I was able to navigate that. It took some time, but I got off of all the, um, the benefits that I was on, and really was single, you know, single parenting and incoming, you know, using what income I had to to raise my son. Dur- during this time, like I said, his his dad and I really got into a very tumultuous time in our relationship to a point where. I knew leaving the relationship was the right thing to do, but it probably took me six or eight months to be able to have the courage to actually make the move because I knew he wasn't gonna make it easy. I knew he wasn't gonna I knew he would I didn't know what exactly what he would do, but I knew that just like when we would fight, he would like call me at work and call and just like really, really be in my face at times like that. and and I knew, trying to get away from the relationship was going to be a real challenge. And I was right. So I finally, at one point it came to a physical, he physically hurt me. And in my mind, that was it. Like I can be emotionally, not that I wanted to be emotionally hurt, but I, I could handle that. I could keep it all together. But when that one physical altercation came into play, I was like, that's it. I'm done. Like I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. So I had confided in my mom a little bit about what was going on, but I also didn't want to worry her. And I, right. you know, I just, so there came a point where I just told him and, you know, I, I just said, "I we're done. Like I'm done. I need the key back, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course he did that. He did not take that well. I mean, he was very angry, very, controlling. And it was several months of his like banging on my door in the middle of the night. And, you know, my trying to make sure my son didn't hear, you know, trying to protect his, what he was seeing and feeling and also extricate myself from the situation, even though and I you said he was your son to, was three at the time. Did you yeah, say? Yeah. And of course, we had to still go back and forth to for him to visit. Like I couldn't, right just completely cut this person out of my life. So it was difficult to navigate. Um, it, what culminated it was a situation one evening where he showed up in the middle of the night and he was drunk and he was just about to break a um, window in the doorway to come in, like the, the door had a window in it. And he was pounding on it so hard. I ended up calling the police and I'm like, I, like, and I yelled to him, I called the police on you. So they actually um, found him a couple blocks later, and he had marijuana in his car. So they put him in jail for the night. Well, I worried that t- they, and they, the police officer did come back and tell me, okay, we found him, this is what we're doing, but we're only gonna be able to hold him till the morning just so you know that. So and I knew he he had guns. So I mean, I literally worried the whole night like he's gonna come back and like I mean he really like but the weird thing was, I mean, I really wasn't, I didn't think he'd ever hurt our son, but he was really, really angry and unhappy with me for leaving the relationship. Um, That the weird thing was that incident that night ended the relationship, like it ended the relationship It ended his harassment of me. And the next thing I knew he was dating somebody else. And then shortly thereafter, he got married. It was the strangest thing. And I, Mm.
0: So he never came back after that night.
1: No, I mean, of course, we still had to co-parent, and that was an interesting story (laughs) in and of itself. (laughs) But he didn't come back after me. But I was so—I mean, I was really, really scared. But I knew I had to get out of that, you know, that relationship. So um, a couple of months after that, I ended up needing a date to a Christmas party because remember, I'm a secretary at this point, and um, we had a company Christmas party, and I'm like twenty. 22 years, 21 years old, I think at the time. And um, across the driveway from me was a guy that I had known growing up. My parents were friends with him, and he happened to not be dating anybody. And so I got the courage one night to ask him to be my date to this company Christmas party. And we um, went on that date. And consequently, just a couple months later, we actually got engaged and we're. We celebrated 28 years of marriage. So I know wow. it's in my had, but bottom line, um, we ended up getting married. He, he has, he worked very hard to, um, integrate himself into my son, Nick's life. Um, sometimes we're better than others. When Nick was little, he was like fairly, you know, accepting and they had a good relationship, but, remembering that Nick's dad is in the picture the entire time as well. Right. So it's right. So he's t-
0: that's t- a hard t- like uh, dividing of loyalty.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. When it then when it got to the teen years, I would definitely say that there was more challenge between my husband and um, my son. It didn't didn't go as well because my husband had very definite ideas, I think, as to what my son should be doing academically and yada, yada. And Nick just wasn't that kid. Plus the fact, in hindsight, he was living through a whole lot more than I even knew. And I will get mm-hmm. to that in a minute. But um, he, Nick was going between our house, which um, again, I was married and had four additional children with my husband. And Than his dad's house where his dad had gotten married, but they his dad was always very verbal about not having any more children, like very verbal in front of Nick, Like, yeah. So I think so. I think consequently, Nick never really felt 100 percent accepted in either place, even though he and I, especially during his teen years, like he would come to me and talk to me. But. And, and and I, and I think we both say we had a good open relationship. In fact, I had friends at the time that were like, when my kids are teenagers, you know, I can't, you know, I'm going to come to you because you have such a good relationship with Nick. Right. Um, but, but he, you know, he went between two very, very different worlds. And I think that made it very, you know, difficult for him to know exactly kind of where he fit in and, 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 the rules at both places were totally different. So I'm going to fast forward a little little bit, I think just to say, he graduated, Nick graduated from high school. And shortly thereafter, my husband got a job in Texas, and we were all going to be moving to Texas. Nick had started community college, he had a girlfriend, he had a job working in a grocery store, and there really was no like reason. Again, during the teen years, my husband and my son, they got along <clears throat> less well. They, they didn't mm-hmm. get along really well. So when we got this move, it was like, you know, we're leaving, kind of left him in Wisconsin. He was living with his dad at the time because he didn't like all the rules we had at our house. So he decided to live with his dad after high school. So we moved down to Texas and gosh, about a year after we got to Texas. So at the time he was 20 and the other kids were middle school, elementary school, and I had two preschoolers. But he called me, excuse me. He called me one Sunday evening and this was May of 2008. And he called me from Wisconsin and said, Mom, I, I don't remember the last three days of my life and I've spent the day recovering from an alcohol binge. This isn't the first time. And I really need some help. And although I had inklings, maybe during high school here and there, that he was drinking, um, nothing that really, you know, I, I guess a parent's denial can be really deep. Oh, sure. <laughs> yep. You know.
0: I could, I mean, I can imagine. Mine are little still, so, but I can imagine.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there was no major red flags, just some minor ones. Again, you know, he didn't, wasn't always able to be easily woken up during high school. He, his room had funny smells at times, but he was my oldest and the teenage boy. And I was like, okay, they just smell. This well, is normal hindsight, <laughs> he was literally brewing alcohol in his closet and, um, smoking pot out his window. So, I mean, okay. So <laughs> right. you can, you, know, you can definitely, um, missed some signs, but I couldn't deny or repress any longer what he was telling me on the phone. And that phone call led to, gosh, two years of two plus years of some major ups and downs for him in terms of his, he would go three weeks, four weeks without drinking at all. And then he would drink himself into oblivion. Like he, his anxiety, it wasn't that he was a partier. It wasn't that he was trying to gain popularity. I think he first got introduced to alcohol at the age of 15 at a party. And like, that was kind of the segue. But after that, he was using it was like a coping skill. Yeah. I mean, he, his anxiety level was through the roof and he would drink himself into literally, you know, blackout stage. So, um, there was a couple of like, he first, you know, he called me with that. We moved him to my mom's cause she also lived in Wisconsin and she had a room for him. And we just kind of wanted, he needed some more structure. Like he needed, but pretty quickly we found out like, he definitely went off the rails at my mom's pretty quick. So it was like, okay, this is way, way deeper and way, you know, more challenging than we originally thought. Um, mm-hmm put him in outpatient, about outpatient program that didn't work. Then on a whim, a couple months later, I flew, he, he had another really bad incident and this incident at this point, he was back living with his dad because we just didn't have anywhere for him to live. And I didn't want my mom in the situation that she was being put in anymore. So he had to go back to his dad's, which was really a dark time in my son's life because come to find out later um, that his dad physically emotionally abused him very much during those growing up years and he I had no idea what he was being put through so there was an incident that took place while he was at his dad's I literally flew from t- from Dallas to Milwaukee the next morning early and unannounced, and got him out of the situation and he ended or I took him back down to Texas and put him in an inpatient facility for several weeks Mm -hmm. um so that that was um probably one of the hardest things um I've been through as a mother is to watch your child um pretty much self-destruct you know like I, it's so hard to.
0: I wanted to just be in the grips of an of addiction, and you know, because yeah, it's like, yeah, you can't love him enough to get him out of it. No. It's just, it's yeah, his, yeah. his, his, his battle. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's it's really hard to watch some, obviously, to watch someone you love, um, not not be able to love themselves enough to make the choices that they needed to make to to stay away. From the things that were going to harm them. So he came down to inpatient treatment. And then he did sober living in Austin, which is where he lives today. And he is, at this point, he's 33, and he is 10 years sober. But during those couple of years, when I had to educate myself on addiction, um, really, the other thing that I did was really start looking at my parenting. And I was also looking at the way I had been parented. I was looking at how during the teen years we need to shift from parenting over our children to parenting with them. I went back to college, got a degree in psychology. My intention was to begin um, as a my, my intention was to become a licensed chemical dependency counselor for teenagers. And during my 4,000 hours of internship, I decided it wasn't teenagers that I wanted to focus on. It was their parents because I had been the parent of a child in addiction. And I just felt like that was the space that I wanted to be in and really where I connected with people. So it led me to um, get, become a certified parent coach to write a book on my journey with my son from my teen pregnancy to, you know, walking through a very raw honest look at walking through um, the addiction with him. And um, so for the past five years, I have coached mothers of teenagers um, because I truly believe that mothers are the emotional barometers in their families. And when they lose their voice and lose their confidence and don't have a path, and don't feel as if they have any reason, or not any reason, but they don't. They put themselves last, and they don't take care of their emotional needs. The entire family suffers. Um, I believe that our our own emotional connection to ourselves, and the way we take care of ourselves as mothers, ripples out into our spouses, if that's applicable, and most definitely into our children. I've seen this in my own personal life in the last 12 years that I have made my emotional well-being and my mental health and my spiritual health a priority. Um, At this point, like I said, Nick is 10 years sober. He celebrated 10 years in May. He's married, lives in Austin. And then my other kids who I haven't really talked very much about, I guess, and I'm sure you'll ask me questions if you <laughs> if you have them, but I, <laughs> my, I have a 27-year-old who is in his third year of seminary to become a Catholic priest. I have a son who um, graduated from college this spring and works in tech. And then I have a son who is 17 and a senior in high school and my only daughter is 15. And so the, the parents that I coach the mothers that I coach, I'm really right in the thick of it with them. Um, with my youngest too, being 15 and 17. So I've watched screens and all the things that have come into our world over the last 30, you know, 30 some years, yeah. affect our kids. And um, I'm just really on a mission to help mothers reconnect to their own inner wisdom in order to be emotionally attuned to their children. Because I believe that some of our children and teens behavior is a direct result of our as adults, as parents in their lives, not taking good care of ourselves and and working through our own stuff.
0: 100%. I think that um, there's also I think there's such a such a powerful area that you're in because there's so much shame and guilt. Do you know what I mean? Even if you're not necessarily specifically working with parents who have teens who are struggling with addiction or whatever, but like I I work a lot with finances with people Mm -hmm. and you know, it's, same only it's different. It's different, but it's the same. Like there's so much shame and guilt because we feel like we should know how to do X, Y, and Z, right? Like we feel like we should know how to budget. We feel like we should know how to handle our finances. We feel like we should know how to do these things, but we don't. And as adults, it's like, then there's just all the shame of, you know, where we've let our debt go or whatever. And it's like, we're too afraid to ask a question. And so we just die this like, quiet life financially or like what you're saying, you know, like as a parent, you're like, man, <laughs> I should know how to parent my own child or I should know how to connect with my own child. I should know all these yeah. things, but it's really not. I mean, it's that simple, but it's not that simple. That's you my know, greatest. Like it's simple, but not easy.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's my greatest challenge with client in. I mean, I, I feel like there should be a stream outside my door of parent, you know, like I need help. So, it's not to say that like I'm the expert. In fact, I don't often even really like that word. I am in practice of being conscious with myself, the relationship to myself and to my kids. But the reason I think that we have that I have such a challenge in parents coming to me is because there is so much shame. And that shame comes from not being able to be honest with ourselves because as children, we're often not heard for who we are. We're trying to be what someone else wants us to be all or needs us to be all the time. And we aren't really ourselves. We we don't really develop our own self.
0: Right. And that transfers into being a parent. I feel like you try to be who everyone else thinks or you yeah. feel like everyone else thinks you should be. Yes. And then yeah. And then it's 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 also though, even the just like thinking about if you really feel off base with parenting a specific child or, you know, whatever it might be, I feel like the work that it would take to just do that. I mean, it's deep work, you know, like that's hard work and we all have a lot going on. And so do you feel like that could be a, I don't know. Just maybe like a stumbling block to yes. or an obstacle to a parent. Like, I don't know that I even want to have the energy to put all this extra work in, even though I you do. want to.
1: I do feel that way. But here's the other thing. I, and the reason that I choose to coach parents of teens is also because I don't believe it's ever too late. And I don't believe that adolescence is a time when we should white knuckle our way through it. I mean, our kid adolescence is a fantastic time. And our children are our greatest teachers. We really, really can learn so much from them if we are willing to, again, invest in our own mental health and well being. And this, when people work with me, they work with me not only to gain better relationships with their children now, but they realize this is generational work. The work that they do now to shift the relationship they have with their children will also ultimately also result in the next generation, their grandchildren being parented in a different and healthier way.
0: Right. And it's just more, and I feel like the generations before us, I was just talking with another, um, another woman on this Overcomer series. I, uh, you know, <laughs> generations before us, especially like World War II vets and that kind of thing, it was all like you don't talk about your emotions. You don't talk about how you feel like it's, you know, there is none of that, like, like feelings or weakness type type. And that's obviously a generalization, but, um, and so then, you know, these children who were parented by those type of parents are now parenting their own kids. But the difference is, is that in this generation, oh my gosh, are we bombarded with like all of this information? And, um, you know, how important it is to you know this emotional intelligence and how important that is and all of this stuff. and so truly, like we're all just doing the best we can with what we have, sure. you know and so um, but I think that it's really a special time to be alive even though 2020 is not so um you know like <laughs> it's really a special time we're just learning so much
1: it's an opportunity for us to understand I think that feelings are so important and teaching, getting in touch with our own feelings, helping our children identify and connect with and feel their feelings. I feel like so much of this anxiety and depression and rise in suicide in our young people has to do with their not only calling us, the adults in their lives to evolve the way that we are dealing with our emotions, but to help them become we've just we've we we are so bombarded with information that you know we think our kids get all this information to into coming at them but so do we so do we as adults and it's helping helping people reconnect with their own inner wisdom that is is what i love doing i think the most is just helping people like shift out of the noise and into what is what makes the most sense for the child that came into the world through them, as opposed to what everyone else is saying and trying to keep up with what everyone else is doing. It is difficult, but I think it's this year, this 2020, gosh, I mean, it's such an opportunity for us to realize what's really important. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I feel like what's really powerful with this whole thing is like, you know, before, before social media, before all of this, it's like, you were a product of your raising, you know? And it's like, you didn't know any different. You didn't see different. You didn't realize there was different out there. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, you can look around and be like, oh wait, hold on (laughs) this. There's a different way, you know? And then there's people like you who are just out there, like spreading this message. And like you said, like literally walking alongside people, like just to even be able to have that reach these days, I feel like is amazing. And can you talk about, I want to talk about kind of what you're, I know you said you were doing and and you're kind of in the middle of a transition right now, but (laughs) can you talk about your, okay, this might be kind of random, but I know we talked about it, but can you talk about your tattoo of your children? Because I love this because, and I'm telling, and you're kind of telling me that there's a chance here because I have four boys. Yes. Yes. And so everybody's like, have a fit. It's going to be a girl. I'm like, it ain't going to be a girl. (laughs) It's not going to happen.
1: So yeah. Can you talk about your tattoo? I I probably would have said the same thing, Stephanie, to be honest with you. Um, (laughs) Yes, I can. Um, So shortly before we moved to um, Texas, I wanted to, I knew that we'd be leaving Nick behind. And I, I wanted to have this experience with him that would be bonding. And I knew that he was going to get a tattoo at some point anyways. So I said, and I never really was like a tattoo person at all, you know, like, I'm like, okay, I would never do that. But I, I thought to myself, what wouldn't this be a great experience? And I know people do this, whatever, it wasn't a novel thing. But it was at the time, you know, I was like I really, you know, so, so we, I made an appointment for us to go. He was super excited about it. I was sitting in the tattoo parlor waiting to be called. And I knew I had a vision going in of what I wanted, but it was, I came out with something completely different. And I'm so glad I did because what I decided while I was sitting there was I really wanted to have a word that represented what each one of my children had taught me about life. And so, and I put it, I knew I was going to put it on my left hip. I put, I put it there because that's where I carried my children before they could walk. And so to me, it was like, I didn't want the tattoo to be like out there, but I still at the time was wearing bathing suits or bikinis that like, you could see it if I was wearing a, a suit. So bottom line, um, I had the words, faith, calm, courage, patience, and grace tattooed on my hip with footprints in between that kind of go through the words to really signify the journey aspect of my message. And the most interesting thing about it is, of course, when I had that tattoo in that wintry afternoon before we moved to Texas with my son, n- never did I need faith, calm, courage, patience, and grace more than I did while I walked with him through his addiction and every day since then. The, those words and those, those they've become not only my mantra, but... Um, really the person that I strive to be each day.
0: I love that so much. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: like, <laughs> I want a tattoo. of, And I, you know, I'm like, I want something that's like really meaningful. And when I read, when you t- when you sent me that, about that it's on your left hip, because that's yeah. where you carried your babies. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I literally think that I got like tears in my eyes because oh. I just feel like, I don't know, you know, mothering, it's such a, it's such big work. Um, and it's so just deep work. And there's so much like, am I doing okay? I don't know. (laughs) You know, they're, their, their kids are your, their own selves. You cannot control the whole thing. And it is just something that is like so hard, but so beautiful at the same time. So
1: did I uh, share, did I share the, um, I know it's, I know it's the signature in my email, but, um, did I share with you like the, the quote that I always use that was downloaded to me about children?
0: No, I'd not would you like lo- okay. I would love for you gonna, to share you're that. Gonna,
1: you're gonna love this. And this is this is something oh, that Lord. <laughs> is really is really it's very deep, so I'm gonna say it slowly. But this really came to me. I think I was vacuuming literally when I when this came to me, but it's this our children come through us, not for us, except for the lessons they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. Mm. I love that. They either come through us physically or to us, maybe by, you know, adoption or whatever, but not for us, except to grow us up in the process of the challenges that, that, you know, they will inevitably go through in their lives growing up.
0: Right. And they have the you know, and they have their own work to do. Yes, and you know we have our own work to do, and there's we cannot love them enough to have them not struggle. We can't love them enough to have them, you know, not make their own choices and whatever else. So, yeah, as I much as that, we
1: don't too. want them to, you know, I, I would never want, I would never have wanted my son to go through some of the challenges that he did, and you know, he gone to, went to jail a couple of times during that time period, and I never ever would want that for him. But he also is the person that he is today because of the experience he had. And when I look at, I think all of us, if we looked at our own lives, it's not, we don't grow in the, in the wonderful, easy moments of our lives. We grow in the struggles. So this is, you know, we have to, we can't protect our children from everything and we can't fix everything for them because when we do that, we rob them of the opportunity to become who they're meant to be.
0: I heard a quote um that reminded me of what you just said and basically it would say like people that have just gone through like hard hard stuff that they would never change or like they would never wish that experience on their worst enemy but they would never they wouldn't trade that perspective that they have now for the world I agree like the perspective that they've gained. It's just crazy though. Obviously yeah. we sometimes wish that we <laughs> wouldn't have to go through those things. Um, so I know we talked a little bit right before we got started, but you're kind of in a transition right now. So can you kind of talk? I am. To us about that?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, if you want to talk about, I know this, you know, the series is particular. And of course I had some very challenging times in my life, right? Making a decision to have my baby, to raise my child at the age of 18, despite people close to me really wanting, not wanting me to necessarily do that. Um, Moving big moves with family, watching a child go through addiction. These are all major struggling points in my life. I have been coaching parents for the last four years, and I truly believe it's my highest calling to do that. Yet I've um, juggled a Job. I work at a children's hospital and I've been juggling this job because it covers our family's health insurance. And my husband actually is an entrepreneur. He owns a travel agency. So you can imagine in COVID exactly where that is right now, right? Very challenging. However, I have decided I can no longer do both things. And so I'm going to take a complete leap of faith at the end of this month and leave my job and jump into coaching full time and speaking on the topic of parenting with rather than over our children. So Oh, my goodness. I know I'm, I'm, that's I'm scared. amazing. I'm scared. No, yeah. But I'm excited. I just I feel like it's this, it's this inner knowing in my gut, I do a lot of meditation. And it's been, you know, speaking to me for a while. And as scared as I am, especially, you know, I mean, when I think about health insurance and we're in the middle of a pandemic and what are you thinking? And your husband, you know, like there's all of these things that point in some direction of saying like you're completely nuts lady. But then the other thing is a stronger voice inside my heart is saying, I, I have to do this. And I feel like now is the time to make this jump in my life. So, you know, maybe we can get together in six months and I can tell you. But this is where I'm, I'm in a very um, transitional point in my life. And I know that I, I don't believe anyone is going to come through this chapter in our lives without having have, having had to make a decision or go through something difficult financially or in their relationship or with their children or physically. You know, um, I think we're all, this is, this is an, an evolving time for all of us.
0: Absolutely. And I, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, it is, I mean, I'm sure like it is absolutely terrifying, but there's just something <laughs> that happens. I feel like when there's just something that happens when you step into your purpose, yes. like when you step into where your heart just like is fully out, you know, and you're, um, I know you say didn't like expertise, but just even your experience and your wisdom are completely aligned with that. Like, I mean, you you can't be stopped, you know? And yeah, so I'm sure that it'll be, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'm sure that it'll be like a little rocky or whatever, but who doesn't have that?
1: Right. And that's the growing, now, so. right? Like I'm afraid right. because right now this, the fear really at the base of it is that I'm about to grow. I'm about to grow. And sometimes that can be scary, but what's the alternative staying safe, staying small, staying in a job that is wonderful, but not my highest calling. I know what my highest calling is. And I have to, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this just because um, it's made a real impact on me. Recently, I listened to a podcast where the book, the five, the top five regrets of the dying by Bronnie Ware was shared Um, I don't know if you've heard of that book, but she's a hospice worker and um, she had like years and years of experience. And she wrote a book on the top five regrets of those who are dying. The number one thing was to that you that they that you don't live your life, that who you are, you live for who everyone else wants you to be. And when I read that and I read the stories around being what everyone else needs you to be or wants you to be instead of who you are, I made that. Just that's when I made the decision. Like I have to, if I live under a bridge, I have to do this. Right. So. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's really. <laughs> I mean, I I'm not saying wow and like I'm like surprised. I'm saying wow because it's really inspiring. Um, I think that you know, I mean, I'm. I feel like with entrepreneurship it's such this like weird road where the, the rep that it has is either like, um, like a uh, feast or famine. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's this really big, it's a high risk, it's high this, but the truth is, is that like, if you can be creative, like you can figure out a way to make money, even if it's out of your, your normal, like, you know, um, avenue of what you do or, you know, you could put on mm-hmm. workshops, you can do the whole nine. Like there's so much that you can do if you're willing to just like, be creative. And when you're in a space that you feel so aligned with, like it wakes your brain up, yep. you know? Yep. So, well, that's amazing. I am <laughs> like, I, I will, let's get back together in six months. Yeah. I would love it. I, Come, you know, I have
1: no idea what's going to happen, but then again, I've been in other areas of my life where I had no idea what was going to happen. And I just believe that the universe is going to rise up and meet me with this big, Stop. So I would love to chat with you again about that. Yes.
0: Yeah. Maybe you can come on like the the other part of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about mindset or one of the other uh, five topics that we talk about. That's amazing. Well yeah. Kim, thank you so much for being
1: on. Where can I mean where can people find you? Social media website. Um, I mainly spend my time social media wise on Facebook. And you can find me at Kim Minch, which is M-U-E-N-C-H or Real Life Parent Guide. Is also on Facebook. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, I don't really do Instagram. And I know I got to get into that. But probably the best place to connect with me um, would be on my website. And that's real life And that's only one L. So real life shares an L ParentGuide.com, And I always offer a 20 minute complimentary consultation so that I can get to know, you know, whether or not a person is ready for coaching and or share the way that I can help them. So we make sure it's a good fit. So. That's amazing. Well, thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I will have all of that information in the show notes, you guys. Um, And thank you, Kim, for coming on.
1: Thank you, Stephanie, for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Man, what a powerful story. So raw. So real. <laughs> I told her after we got up the recording that I felt like I could literally sit and have a cup of coffee with her for hours and just talk. Like I feel like it's so important that we are walking as women in intergenerational relationships because there is just so much wisdom and so much grace there that they are just invaluable conversations to have, right? So guys, if you connected with Kim, you feel like you somewhat shared her story, um, make sure you go check her out, check out her website, make sure you go, you know, check out your Facebook. If you're, if you're a mama of teens (laughs) looking to just have a stronger, healthier relationship, make sure you check out her just content and everything around that. She's put her heart and soul into that. So Okay, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this first episode of our Overcomer series. There will be more to come to close out 2020, and I look forward to continue walking with you guys and helping you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.